Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Looking at our world from a theological perspective, this is the Theology Central Podcast. Making Theology Central. Good evening, everyone. It is Tuesday, June the 27th, 2023. It is currently 6.16 p.m. Central Time, and I'm coming to you live from the Theology Central studio located right here in Abilene, Texas. It's summertime. At least it is here in West Texas, where it's about 108 degrees outside right now. I, I don't even know what the high temperature is going to be today. It's been, it has been a hot summer over the past week or so here in West Texas, maybe even a little longer than that. I don't know how the weather is where you are, but it is clearly summertime here in Texas. And for the summer of 2023, we've dedicated this entire summer to the book of Jeremiah. And let's not forget the book of Lamentations, but we're a long ways from the book of Lamentations. We are working in the book of Jeremiah and we've covered a lot of things. And I gave everyone kind of a little special assignment, right? Remember Jeremiah chapter seven, Jeremiah chapter seven, verse 12, where we read these words, Jeremiah chapter seven, verse 12. Listen carefully. Jeremiah chapter seven, verse 12. But go ye now unto my place, which was in Shiloh, where I set my name at the first and see what I did to it for the wickedness of my people Israel. And I gave you a special assignment to work on Shiloh, to investigate everything you can about Shiloh. Look up every reference in the Bible to Shiloh, what happened, with the who, what, where, when, how, and how that could possibly apply to us in 2023, right? I told you to do all of that and to send it to me, newsif at yahoo.com, newsif at yahoo.com. So please keep working on that. And one of the things I told you to do is to grab the Sermons 2.0 app, look up Shiloh and just choose a random sermon. Just grab one, just choose a random one and listen to it so that you would hear, well, some, some other teaching on Shiloh to really, you know, try to add to your study of the book. I wanted you to do your own work first, then go do that. So I thought, well, you know, um, I, I haven't heard a lot from people who've been doing, I've heard from a few people who've been working on the Shiloh, uh, um, you know, assignment, but I haven't heard a lot. So I thought, you know what? I'll grab the Sermons 2.0 app. I'll just choose a random sermon on Shiloh and we will review it together. Now, listen, this doesn't count as the one you're supposed to listen to. This doesn't count. This is extra, right? Don't say, oh, wait, wait, wait. I listened to one of the sermons with him. No, it doesn't count does not count. This is a sermon review, all right? This is us. We are reviewing, analyzing, critiquing, struggling, learning. We're going to be doing all kinds of things with this sermon. It's just a random one that I chose, and mainly I chose it because of the cool title. Yahweh is captured. 
Yahweh is captured. And I'm like, that's an interesting title. Of course, I haven't listened to it. So when you're searching, when you go to Sermons 2.0 app and you type in Shiloh and you and you see one saying, uh, you see one entitled Yahweh is captured, do not choose that, okay? It doesn't count. And this doesn't count as your sermon. You got to go find your own random one, listen to it and take notes. But don't do that until after you've done your own work on Shiloh. Hopefully you're working on that assignment. Hopefully you will benefit greatly from it. And um, well, I'm going to add to your, your, our, our study in the book of Jeremiah. Jeremiah chapter seven, verse 12. Let me read it to you one more time. I think you get an idea of what's happening here. Jeremiah seven twelve. but go ye now unto my place, which was in Shiloh, where I set my name at the first and see what I did to it for the wickedness of my people, Israel. Go look at Shiloh. Go look, go look. Obviously it was to serve as an object lesson. Go look at what I did. You should learn something from it. And what I want to know is I want you to spend time, in a sense, you yourself on your own, taking a guided tour of Shiloh using your Bible, everything about Shiloh, its significance, everything about it, everything about it. And then come back to with all of that information to Jeremiah 7, 12, and you'll be like, yeah, I, I, I went and took a, I took a guided tour through Shiloh. And let me tell you. That's that's a serious warning. That's a serious something. And then you can say, well, how does that apply to your life in 2023? Now, in my study Bible, if I look up Jeremiah 7, 12, guess what my uh, study Bible says? Shiloh, 18 miles north of Jerusalem, was where the tab- tabernacle and Ark of the Covenant was set up after the conquest of Canaan. This place was destroyed by the Philistines in 150 BC, or, or 1050 BC, I should say, 1050 BC, after, the, uh, after a certain battle, and it's talked about in 1 Samuel chapter 4, all right? So 1050 BC is when it, when it was destroyed. And God here is telling Jeremiah, go look at it. In a sense, telling Judah, in a sense, go look at it. Go look at what I did. So we need to go look at what I did. And I think this sermon is going to get us close to the, the guided tour through what happened. And then we need to see what, we, what, what that would mean for them. What, what would that mean for the original recipients of Jeremiah's words, right? Of God's words through Jeremiah. And what would it mean for Jeremiah? What would it mean for everyone else? And what does it mean for us? Sound like a good idea? Now, I don't know how long this is going to take. This sermon is, this sermon is 50 minutes and 28 seconds, meaning uh, I don't know if we're going to review the entire thing. I don't know. We're just going to see. I, look, I never know what's going to happen because I don't listen to the sermons first, right? I don't listen to the sermons first because I don't like it to be rehearsed. So I never know where it's We may get 30 minutes into this and I may be like, this was the worst decision in the history of mankind. Or I may go, this is the greatest sermon I've ever heard dealing with Shiloh. I don't know what we're going to discover, but I know one thing. We're going to get some information. So open your Bible, get a notebook. Let's jump in. Let's head to Shiloh. And let's see what we can learn. Here we go. Let us hear God's word from 1 Samuel 4, beginning in verse 1. Now Israel went out to battle against the Philistines and encamped beside Ebenezer. And the Philistines encamped in Aphek. 
Then the Philistines put themselves in battle array against Israel. And when they joined battle, Israel was defeated by the Philistines, who killed about 4,000 men of the army in the field. And when the people had come into the camp, the elders of Israel said, Why has the Lord defeated us today before the Philistines? Let us bring the ark of the covenant of the Lord from Shiloh to us, that when it comes among us, it may save us from the hand of our enemies. So the people sent to Shiloh, that they might bring from there the ark of the covenant of the Lord of hosts, who dwells between the cherubim. And the two sons of Eli, Hophni and Phinehas, were there with the ark of the covenant of God. Now when the ark of the covenant of the Lord came into the camp, all Israel shouted so loudly that the earth shook. Now when the Philistines heard the noise of the shout, they said, What does the sound of this great shout in the camp of the Hebrews mean? Then they understood that the ark of the Lord had come into the camp. So the Philistines were afraid, for they said, God has come into the camp. And they said, Woe to us, for such a thing has never happened before. Woe to us, who will deliver us from the hand of these mighty gods? These are the gods who struck the Egyptians with all the plagues in the wilderness. Be strong and conduct yourselves like men, you Philistines, that you do not become servants of the Hebrews, as they have been to you. Conduct yourselves like men and fight. So the Philistines fought, and Israel was defeated, and every man fled to his tent. There was a very great slaughter, and there fell of Israel 30,000 foot soldiers. Also, the ark of God was captured, and the two sons of Eli, Hophni and Phinehas, died. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God endures forever. Okay, first, I have no idea what's going on with their sound. I have no clue, but that it's not on us. That's on that's on them. There was something in the way they recorded it. Now, personally, I probably would have deleted the sermon if I heard that after one of my sermons, but uh, some people don't have a problem with it. But ignore that. Let's focus here. So I, there's already some things that jumped out at me from this text, not so much about Shiloh, but about some of the things said by the Philistines. It's just interesting. They refer to uh, uh, 1 Samuel 4, is it verse 8? The Philistines say, Woe unto us, who shall deliver us out of the hands of these mighty gods, plural? These are the gods, plural, that smote the Egyptians with all the plagues in the wilderness. They perceive, for some reason, the Egyptians perceive Israelite, the Israelites of having more than one god. They don't see them, they see them not as monotheistic, but as, uh, as polytheistic, as having multiple gods. Well, I wonder why. Like, like, that just stands out at me. I don't know. I don't know if it's a translation issue, but it's just interesting. They don't see it as, no, 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 they have one god. The, the Israelites have one God. No, no, no. These are many gods. Why, why do they perceive Israel to have many gods? Why is that? And not only that, I find it interesting that once again, what do we have? We have God's people, Israel, Judah, whether united or whether divided. Once again, judgment, death falls upon them. Why? Because of perpetual disobedience. Judah and Israel never kept the law. They fell short. I find it fascinating that Christians in their mind believe that people, some Christians believe lost people can keep the law. We just need to pass the law and then everyone will keep it. 
Or second, they believe somehow we have supernatural power that we can keep the law. Uh, yes, yes, 30,000. I believe 30,000 people died in one day. Yeah, a lot of people. Uh, a lot of people died. Constant death and destruction because that's all the law brings. I just want to make sure whenever, when, uh, whenever it comes to God's law, those trying to keep it, it's always going to end in death and destruction because it condemns. It doesn't save you from going to fall short of it. I think there's a lot to say there. But so obviously Shiloh here is connected with a horrible defeat and death. And clearly the ark is captured here. So Shiloh, hey, go look at what happened at Shiloh and Jeremiah 7, 12. Hey, go remember the defeat. Go remember the destruction. Go remember how many people died. Go remember what happened. So I, I think now the warning takes on a little bit more impact. Let's, let's listen and see how he approaches this text. Amen. Well, we've been talking about Samuel in one way or another since chapter 1. And he has been our focal point in chapters 1, 2, and 3. Now, we are continuing this theme of contrast, but there is a major shift taking place now as we move to chapter 4. We have seen here most recently Yahweh converting Samuel, calling him to faith and repentance. And then, as we saw last time, Yahweh commissioned Samuel to bring God's word to Israel. And though he is fearful, with Eli's help, Samuel did so and reiterated the judgment against Eli's house. The nameless prophet had pronounced it initially, and by hearing it again, it certainly confirmed this word. Hophni and Phinehas would die. Eli's line would be cut off, and there would be much much distress in Shiloh. And we'll see the first part of that being fulfilled here in this section. Samuel is now a prophet like Moses. As I ended with last time, there are um, many, many connections with Moses and Samuel. And this then reverses the rare word of God to Israel. And so we turn here now in chapter 4 to a fulfillment of these prophecies. We had the judgment announced in chapter 2, reiterated in chapter 3, and now fulfilled here. And we continue this theme of contrast. We've spent all this time on Samuel, and now in more immediately, chapter 3, focusing on Samuel. Now here, chapter 4, we, we see the contrast with Hophni and Phinehas and even Eli. Samuel is godly. Samuel knows God. Samuel brings much blessing to the nation. But he's not going to be mentioned again until chapter 7. Because not only do we see a contrast now to Hophni and Phinehas, their wickedness, they do not know God, and now their judgment, there's going to be a transition now to focusing on Yahweh and his presence. So, the very first part of verse 1 went with last week, the last uh, part of chapter 3. And so picking up with the second sentence here in verse 1, Again, it reads, Now Israel went out to battle against the Philistines and encamped beside Ebenezer, and the Philistines encamped in Aphek. All right, since we're making this transition, let's lay some foundation here so we can better understand what's coming. Um, First of all, we run into the Philistines now, and yet this is not the first time we've talked about the Philistines 
uh, here in our studies. If you turn back to Judges chapter 3, in our study of Judges, we see the first encounter with Israel and the Philistines, and that is with Shamgar at the end of chapter 3. And so in verse 31 it says, After him was Shamgar, the son of Anath, who killed 600 men of the Philistines with an ox goad, and he also delivered Israel. So, when did this happen? Well, remember the conquest, we believe it was in 1406 B.C. And so then Joshua died, we believe, around 1390 B.C., you have some time for that generation to pass away, and then you have Othniel, the first judge, and then Ehud, and then Shamgar. So are we around 300, 1300 B.C.? Um, possibly. Now, <clears throat> let me just briefly mention this. If you read uh, scholars on this question of the Philistines, most of them will say, even among conservatives, that they don't show up until about 1200 B.C., but this mention of Shamgar, I think, has to put it before that, especially if we date the Exodus at 1446 B.C., which I think we should. And so move things back maybe a century, and that's probably when the Sea Peoples, as they originally were called, came here into Canaan. If you turn to chapter 10, we see the Philistines mentioned again. Okay, he's, he's putting a lot of emphasis on the time, the, the, chron, the chronology of everything. All right, good. Uh, he's giving us a little history maybe on the Philistines. Great. Um, obviously, for us, for our purpose, we're wanting to know Shiloh, 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 Shiloh. We want to know more about Shiloh than the Philistines. We want to know more about what happens there. The Philistines are involved, but we want to know more about what happens because this is to, well, to help us out in our assignment that you've been given to work on Shiloh. So we'll see. We'll let him offer a little of this historical background, some of this chronology. Now, it's always interesting when he's like, most scholars say this, and I think, no, it has to be this. And then, well, immediately you can just see, <laughs> if no one can agree on the timing, let's hope the timing doesn't impact our interpretation, right? I think what whenever, whenever you decide, hey, nobody can agree on the timing, this is just kind of a little a hermeneutical exercise. Whenever like some people are like, no, this is when they show up. No, this is when they show up. No, this is when this happened. No, this is when this happened. And you find that there is a, you know, a debate amongst the time. I would always say before you jump into that kind of a debate, because it, what is it going to gain you? What is it really going to gain? Step back and ask yourself, if the dating is changed, if we go with this date or we go with this date, does it impact how we interpret First Samuel chapter four to how does it impact how we interpret Jeremiah? How does it like all you want to know is does the changing of the date impact how you interpret the passage? If it doesn't impact the interpretation of the passage, then you can dive into all of those debates, but you'll probably just find yourself, you know, screaming meaningless, meaningless, all is meaningless, vanity of vanities, all is vanity. Because, I mean, if nobody can agree on it, what are you going to do? I mean, he's just like, well, based on this, I just think you'd have to move it back a century. Okay, well, why didn't all the scholars move it back a century? Like, I would hope you would have uh, some more arguments than just, well, because this person is mentioned, I, I, I feel like you would need more. But my thing is, does it impact the interpretation? 
Does it impact the interpretation? That's what you really look for and, and consider. But let's see where he's going to go with all of this background information. Again, here in Judges, Judges 10, verse 6. And the children of Israel again did evil in the sight of the Lord and served the Baals and the Ashtoreths, the gods of Syria, the gods of Sidon, the gods of Moab, the gods of the people of Ammon, and the gods of the Philistines. And they forsook the Lord and did not serve him. So the anger of the Lord was hot against Israel, and he sold them into the hand of the Philistines and in the hands of the people of Ammon. Now, once again, what I want you to see, Judges chapter 10, verse 6, I want you to see this again. And the children of Israel did evil again in the sight of the Lord and served Baal, uh, of Balaam and Ashtaroth, uh, and the gods of Syria and the gods of Zidon and the gods of Moab and the gods of the children of Ammon and the gods of the Philistines and forsook the Lord and served not him. What, what I want you to see is over and over and over and over and over again, they are doing evil in the sight of the Lord. It, whether it's Israel combined, whether it's them separated in the southern and northern kingdom, whether it's Judah, whether it's Israel, over and over and over and over, failure, failure, failure. And any time of su- supposed spiritual victory or spiritual success, it's always short-lived, and they go right back into idolatry, right back into rebellion, right back into ungodliness. And the point is, God's law only condemns and reveals the sin. It doesn't fix the problem. And it's bizarre to me that Christians, we read that over and over. This is the way Christians tend to handle the Old Testament. They failed. But now that we're in the new covenant, we succeed. But 2,000 years of church history looks very similar to me to the exact same history of Israel. Sin, sin, failure, failure, division, fighting, idolatry, and ungodliness. Because we are sinners. We are sinners. They, people were sin, had a sinful nature in the old covenant. People have a sinful nature in the new covenant. We, and guess what? We are saved by a imputed righteousness. We are declared righteous by faith and we are not saved by being infused with a righteousness. I, th- I, I think we have to see that. But it's weird how Christians approach that the Old Testament, man, they were all messed up, but dun, dun, da, da, not us. We're not like them. Well, no, we're, 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 we're very much like them, but it doesn't matter if you're in Judges, doesn't matter if you're in Samuel, doesn't matter if you're in Jeremiah. Guess what you see? Sin, failure, division, rebellion, and idolatry. It just repeats itself over and over and over again. And so this now transitions us to Jephthah, and then, of course, to Samson, who is the one who addresses the issue of the Philistines. And so in chapters 13 to 16, of course, we see all this about Samson. And remember, the story ends with Samson in Gaza in Dagon's temple. And of course, the temple falls down and, and such because of Samson's strength. And so <clears throat> the Philistines uh, are part of Israel's history already. We come here to 1 Samuel chapter 4, and you see the Philistines mentioned. We're like, oh, okay, remember all these things that we talked about. Now, let me address this question. How does this fit together chronologically? I've mentioned already that it is likely that Samson and Samuel correspond chronologically somehow. 
maybe Samson died and Samuel's born, you know, five or ten years later. Maybe there is some overlap in time. We don't know for sure. But it is very similar. Think of it in this way. Saul begins ruling in 1050 B.C. Was Samuel 50 years old when Saul was anointed king? Remember, his sons start to judge when the people ask for a king. And so Samuel's toward the end of his life. So if that's true, if he's 50, okay, around 1100, that's about the time of Samson. If he's 75, I don't, I didn't run across his age when he died. Okay, maybe I missed it somewhere, but I didn't see it anywhere. So if he was 75, when his sons start ruling poorly and Israel wants a king, then that's about 1125. There's definitely going to be some overlap with Samson. Whatever the case, it's definitely fitting together. At least uh, within 10 or 20 years, and so you have Samson destroying Dagon's temple in Gaza, and now you see Dagon up here in the north. And that's where they take the ark after they capture it. And so certainly we cannot say specifically, but we're not too far apart in time. Okay, now the question would be, if we're close in time, if we're not close in time, does it have any impact on how you interpret any of this? Does it have any interpretive disadvantages or advantages? Does it add confusion or not confusion? I mean, that's the question I, I that's just the question I would ask. Like, I mean, a lot of these things are interesting to look at, right? I mean, you can have, you can get into sometimes Bible college, Bible college or seminary, you end up, you know, having a 45 minute argument in class over it. No, I think it was 1050. No, 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 no. It was, it was 1020. No, no, no. It was 1040. No, it was, it was, it was, it was 998. And you're like, oh man. Okay. And so then, and then, and then when it's all said and done, someone, you know, I, typically you, you want to raise your hand going and nah, so what <laughs> so what we argued for 45 minutes over the time does it impact the interpretation if we're like okay first samuel chapter four well there was an overlap with samuel and samson and samson you know destroyed the the you know, the philistines seem to be destroyed but now here they are back is that is that like they made a quick comeback they weren't really destroyed like what do we do? So did Samson fail? Did Samson succeed? What did Sam like we, now we get now is that is that the question we need to try to answer? Like yeah, so yeah, I, I don't know. But that that whenever you see those kinds of debates, before you jump in, just step back and go, no, wait a minute, how is this gonna impact like trying to understand the possible overlap between Samson and Samuel, does it have any impact on how you interpret 1 Samuel chapter 4? Are you understanding what happens? That's all I'm at. That's, that's all I'm asking. All right, let's continue. The other question here is, how much after chapter 3 does chapter 4 happen? Does it happen within months? Is it several years? We don't know. Uh, but just a few background uh, ideas here in this way. Now, if you look at your maps here again, and you look at the map for the land of the 12 tribes. You look there on the Mediterranean coast, there on the uh, western side. You see uh, the five key cities of the Philistines. Gaza is in the south. This is where Samson was when he died. 
Work your way northward to Ashkelon, and then Ashdod, that's where they're going to take the ark here now, and then move eastward to Ekron and south to Gath. So the three key cities that we will talk about in the next few chapters are Ashdod, Ekron, and Gath. Now work your way straight north pretty much, a little bit to the east, you see Aphek, about 20 miles north of Ekron, and then work your way eastward, a little south, you see Shiloh. It's about 20 miles from Aphek. Okay. Now, <clears throat> the point is simply this. The Philistines are expanding their territory. Dan has already been kicked out. You see Dan there on your maps? Okay, right next to Ekron. They couldn't settle the land. And so they move northward. And it's in part because of the Philistines. Now, as for Ebenezer, this rock, we don't... Now, it's interesting when we say they couldn't settle the land. They couldn't or they wouldn't. And if they couldn't, why couldn't they? Because didn't God promise that they could? Right? I mean, I, mean, I, think, I think that that would be like, when you say that they could not settle the land, why not? Weren't they promised victory in the land? So was it that they couldn't or was it that they wouldn't? Now, if we were, if we were studying this subject for the Bible study exercise, that would become a homework assignment, but I'm not going to give you a homework assignment. Remember, we're here for the guided tour of Shiloh. We want to know what happened in Shiloh. So that's what we're listening for. All of this other information is interesting, but that's just an interesting way of saying it, that Dan was kicked out because they couldn't settle the land. The reason they couldn't was because of the Philistines. They couldn't or they wouldn't. And if they couldn't, why couldn't they? I don't know exactly where it was, but probably within two or three miles of Aphek, eastward toward Shiloh. So with this background here, we see verse 1 telling us back here in 1 Samuel that the Philistines wage war against Israel and 4,000 Israelites die at least here initially. The language suggests to us that Israel ran away. They retreated, and it was a decisive defeat. So then, we see next in um, verse 2 these things. Then the Philistines put themselves in battle array against Israel. When they joined battle. Israel was defeated by the Philistines, who killed about 4,000 men of the army in the field. And so we see uh, here this. Now, verse 3. And when the people had come into the camp, the elders of Israel said, Why has the Lord defeated us today before the Philistines? Let us bring the ark of the covenant of the Lord from Shiloh to us, and when it comes among us, it may save us from the hand of our enemies. Now, <clears throat> I'm not the only one here, but... Uh, what comes almost first to my mind as I read this is Joshua and Ai. And you remember, of course, they brought the Ark of the Covenant through the Jordan River and they marched around Jericho. The walls fall down. Everybody's excited. They go to Ai and they are tranced. And how do they respond? Well, you remember there in Joshua 7, they basically say, Lord, you know, what happened? Why did you defeat us there? Very similar to what we see here. But there's a very different response and a very different mentality 
in Joshua 7 compared to here. In Joshua, they're like, uh, we sin. How do we take care of this? There's not anything like that thought in this passage. Very different mentality. Now, that is an interesting contrast. I do like that contrast of how they responded when they were defeated in Joshua and how they respond to this defeat. Why, why do they respond so differently? And, and of course, the ultimate question is, uh, wherefore hath the Lord smitten us today? Why did the Lord smite them? Why were they defeated? What led to their defeat? I mean, this is at Shiloh. This, this is the place, right? This is where we, we, we need to understand exactly what happened, all right? Or, well, um, well, I'm sorry. The, this defeat hasn't happened at Shiloh yet, all right? They're going to go to Shiloh to get something. So this defeat happens prior to Shiloh. So this is like on our way and our walking tour to, to Shiloh. We see a defeat happens before Shiloh, right? Because they're going to go to Shiloh to get something. But why were they defeated? What's the answer? What's the answer to that question? Let's see if he answers that question. They begin with the right question. Help them at this rock. But after asking the right question, they don't seek out a prophet like Samuel. They don't consult the Urim or the Thummim. They don't wait for an answer. They take matters into their own hands. There are actually three commands here. Uh, in this verse. First of all, let us take the ark from Shiloh. Now notice how I translate that. The New King James says, let us bring the ark. Not an altogether wrong meaning of this term, but take is clearly the point. And we'll come back to that here in a moment or so. They took the ark. At least that's the plan. And so let us take the ark, and then secondly, let it come into our midst. And the third command, let it save us. So three commands, one right after the other here. Obviously, they're trying to act like Joshua did in chapters 3 to 6 of Joshua, when they crossed the Jordan and Jericho and so forth. They wanted the symbol of Yahweh's presence to be with them as they fought. The difference was... Yahweh told Joshua to do that. There's no indication here at all that Yahweh told these men to do these things here. And so Israel takes the ark. This is a very common word in the Hebrew. And yeah, it can have the idea of carrying. It's interesting that he's not, is is he going to answer the question, why were they defeated? Why were they defeated? What led to this defeat? Now, he he says they're looking for the wrong solution. The wrong solution is, let us go to Shiloh and get the ark and let it come amongst, amongst us and let it save us. Now, clearly, the focus seems to be on the object. And you could argue, is this a misplaced trust? Is this, are they putting their faith in the wrong thing? But what? why were they defeated? Why were they defeated? Now, why, I, I think the question of why they were defeated is the most, are the most pressing question in relation to our study of Samuel or our, our study of Jeremiah in chapter seven, where he's like, go to Shiloh and see what happened. Well, we needed to know what happened in Shiloh, but why did it happen? Why were they defeated here? 
before they get to, because the defeat that leads them to go to Shiloh to get things is very important in this whole overall discussion. What led to their defeat? What, why did God allow them to be defeated before they go to Shiloh? Why? What, what was it? I, I, I think that that's the, the question that needs to be answered. Let's see if he answers it. But here it's really the idea of stealing. Stealing it, taking it from God's throne room. You look on your outline and you'll see the title of the sermon here. The capturing of Yahweh, or Yahweh is captured, or however I worded it there. And uh, that's the point. They're not just carrying it into battle. They're actually capturing Yahweh. We don't have to wait till verse 11 for this to happen. The same exact word, take, is used in verse 11 as used here in verse 3. Unfortunately. Okay, now we got to think this. Did they go steal the ark? He's implying that they stole it. Did they did they go capture the ark? Did they go steal it? I don't know about Okay, we we Oh boy, that that's something I I I want, I want everyone to work on it yourself. What you can look up the Hebrew there and like is it is that what it's referencing? Hey, let us go steal the ark. Let us go capture the they captured Yahweh. They captured the ark of God, the presence of God, or they thought they did. Were they trying to steal it? I I don't know like what, what what's the implication there? That they were they had no more right to the ark than the Philistines? Now, I still want to know why they were defeated. Why were they defeated? And are you saying that they were wrong to go get the ark? I, I am. Okay, let, let's keep listening. Your translations typically are going to translate those two words differently. I don't think it's really uh, any different in mentality at all. The Philistines captured the ark, but Israel did first. So let's keep going then. Verse 4. So the people sent to Shiloh that they might bring from there the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord of Hosts, who dwells between the cherubim. And the two sons of Eli, Hophni and Phinehas, were there with the Ark of the Covenant of God. Now remember, they're at Ebenezer. They've got to go to Shiloh. That's, you know, approaching 20 miles away. And they come and they capture the Ark. And note the description here. Yahweh dwells between the cherubs. And they take him and bring him back to battle. Now notice what's going on here. Hophni and Phinehas, who are supposed to be guarding the tabernacle, say, Hey, great, go ahead. And obviously they join in. They go along. So we have the religious leaders and the civil leaders, the elders, coming together and jointly... They capture Yahweh. The ones who have been put in charge by Yahweh to govern Israel, the religious leaders, the Levites, and the civil leaders, the elders in the gate, they're completely corrupted. You can understand why people wanted a king. The way God set things up wasn't working so well, not because of Yahweh, but because of the people. Now, 
by capturing Yahweh here, this is not an indication that Yahweh is impotent. Okay, so one, he still haven't told us why they were defeated. And two, he seems to be really committed to this idea that they captured it. They stole it. I, I like, I don't, I'm not, I'm, I'm trying to wrap my mind around the implications of that. Hey, they were not supposed to take it, but they took it. They captured it. And, and the, and the people who were supposed to protect it went along with it. So this entire thing was the great heist, the great capturing of Yahweh, the great stealing of Yahweh that, that, that. Instead of looking at why they were defeated, he seems to focus on the sin of them that taking the ark was somehow wrong. Was it the taking of the ark was wrong or that they were placing their their trust in the object instead of the the one who it was supposed to point them to? What it tells us is that Yahweh is going to fulfill his word in this way. Judgment against Eli's house is going to come. Punishment against Israel is going to take place. Do you see what's happening here? Yahweh is allowing this mistreatment against him in order to accomplish his purposes, in order to establish his honor. Yahweh does the same thing today. He allows us to mistreat him in church. He allows bad doctrine to flourish. He allows wicked behavior to take place in his churches in order to bring about his purposes, and usually his judgment. The greatest example of this in the history of the world, of course, is at the cross. Lots of bad theology there. Lots of bad doctrine and wickedness by the religious leaders of Israel. And yet through that behavior, that mistreatment of Yahweh's son, he accomplished his purposes of redemption. And so our first key point is this. Yahweh is captured by Israel, and yet Yahweh allows it to happen to accomplish what he wants to accomplish. So God allows all of this to happen so he can accomplish what he wants to accomplish. So he wanted... Um, he wanted 4,000 people to die in verse 2. And then he wanted, uh, let's see. And then he wanted 30,000 footmen to die in verse 10. Hey, I'm going to let all this bad theology, I'm going to let myself be captured. I'm going to let them capture the ark so that my purposes can be done. And my purpose is I want 34,000 people to die. Right? Like, Oh, no, that wasn't God's purpose, or that was God's purpose. And if it was God's purpose, then do the people get blamed or do God get blamed? Well, the God don't get blamed, the people get blamed. But God allowed it all to happen. Yeah, this raises all kinds of questions. I still want to know, what did Israel do for them to be defeated? And what does it mean that they stole the ark? Well, God allowed himself to be captured. He just allowed himself to be stolen. And he allowed himself to be stolen so that his purpose could be accomplished, which seemed to be 34,000 people dying. Like, I, I, I... Okay. Now, I mentioned here last time about Psalm 8 and the youth, the children being used by God to accomplish his purposes. Well, you remember Aslan and C.S. Lewis taking up this theme 
Aslan willingly goes to his death. Same ideas. Lewis is certainly picking up on, on these themes. And so here's our first thought. Yahweh is in control. Even to bring about judgment. Even. Yahweh is captured, but he's actually in control. The ark is stolen, but he's in control. Instead of using that control in order to preserve life, and, and, and instead of using that control to stop all of this from happening, he uses this control in order to uh, bring about judgment of some sort. I, 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 I don't... Yeah, I, I, it's, it's a little... Yeah, so it's a little it's a little confusing. It's a little confusing, but yeah, I I, I think we'll stop right there. I think we'll stop right there. Um, it appears that we've had some kind of um, internet issue. I don't know what has happened, but I'm getting a notification from a podcasting app that this episode that's currently live has already been posted. So I don't know what happened but we lost connection somehow. There is no indicator at all that anything happened. There is nothing on my... Uh, yeah. There is, there is nothing here telling me anything went wrong. So we'll, we'll, just, we'll just count this as 44 minutes of, uh, of... Well, if you listen to me live, great. I hope you got something from that. Uh, and... Uh, we will, I'm just going to delete all of this. So I don't know what happened. I don't have any clue. I just got notification from Apple Podcasts that this, this program that you're currently listening to has just was just posted. So something went wrong. So, all right. Okay, I, I I don't know what to say. All right. So we'll just end this now. I wish uh, I don't know what to do now. I don't know what to do. I don't know what to do. There's no way to try to fix this at this point. So um, I hope you got something from that. I, I guess what to do is in First Samuel, you can go try to figure out why were they defeated and w- did they steal the ark? Did they steal the ark? Those are the two questions that came from that sermon review. And uh, well, thanks for listening. Everyone have a great evening. God bless. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car, before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.